Doom and Gloom by one analyst uh, recently who spoke about the state of housing affordability, stating fixing housing affordability in Toronto and Vancouver is past the point of return. Devel Morrison of Bossley Real Estate joins me now for our weekly real estate check-in. Hey, Devel. Hey, Maggie. How are you? Good. Those are pretty depressing words to hear that our housing affordability is at a state of no return. Yeah, but I guess at the same time, it's not surprising, especially when it comes to the more expensive cities like Toronto and Vancouver. Mm. Um, I I don't see how you you make a a one and a half million dollar house. Sure, you're going to drop it down to one million, but one million is not affordable. Yeah. So it's just never going to be a $500,000 house in Toronto. But we do need more supply and we have to rethink the way people live. Maybe people don't need to live in houses. They can live in condos. They can live together. It's. I think we just have to reframe how people live. Yeah, there was also um, a feeling that the lack of strategy around fixing housing affordability with more immigrants planning to enter Canada over the next few years doesn't help this situation. Yeah, I would agree. And listening to the mayoral candidates makes me very frightful for what may or may not happen when it comes to housing in our city. Because I, first of all, I think that all of our, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal government, they need to talk to each other. And they clearly don't. And there's a lot of bureaucracy that needs to be taken away in order to get more housing built. But uh, the challenge is, is they don't talk to each other. I don't think they actually talk to people who work in housing to actually get the answers to the questions that they need. Because again, when I listen to the mayoral debates, I'm like, have you guys actually talked to anybody that works in housing? Yeah. It's yeah, it's a mess. Um, I had Chloe Brown on a couple weeks ago uh, now, and she, you know, one thing I really appreciate appreciate about her platform is she's trying to think outside the box, you know, yes. and as her numbers start to rise, it's kind of disappointed that she wasn't a part of the debate this week because her number is actually a little bit higher than Brad Bradford. So I think she's earned a spot um, on the debate uh, journey as well. But one of yes. the things that she has talked about, which, you know, again, is a part of the whole Housing Now uh, initiative that the city has, uh, is is using a lot of the city-owned property. But she's talked about, you know, modular houses as well yep. making and doing and that can happen very quickly and exactly. her her strategy is getting uh the homeless off the street by building these modular communities uh quickly getting them off and then you know looking at the different stages of affordability really focusing in on homelessness i think it's genius and it's something that yeah. we need to think about more I think it's a great idea. I think that modular housing is the answer because it can be done a lot faster. And we are talking about people who need houses now. We're not talking about people who need condos five years, 10 years from now after they're built. Um, So yeah, I think modular housing is the answer. It can be built locally. There's there's companies locally in the GTA that literally build modular housing. Yeah. So I do think it's the answer. The city has vacant lands. Let's use it and get it done. Another story in the headlines this week, uh, according to a recent Remax report, commercial real estate is doing well. Surprise, surprise. Explain this to me. Well, it is surprising, but I mean, I think it's, we have to look at what avenue of commercial real estate is doing well. So in that report, they said the office space sector is still struggling, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because we know that people are not going back to their offices and droves. 
However, what is doing well is retail. People are out there shopping. Um, as I think we spoke earlier, I think a couple of weeks ago about Equifax and people's yeah. credit card bills. So they are out shopping and warehousing because everybody is shopping online has also been fueling this drive for more commercial spaces. So warehousing, industrial, it, it does make sense when you see what people's uh, buying habits are like, but office sector is still down a little bit. Explain that to me, this whole, yeah, like, as they said, um, industrial uh, spaces, warehouses, that seems to be peaking a lot of, I mean, I was out in Georgetown a couple weeks ago, and I saw at least two or three uh, large warehouses being built in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. I just thought, what's going on here? Who's moving into these spaces? And I think about like Amazon and larger companies who need more warehousing space. And that seems like the prime uh, area where, especially if you're an online uh, mm -hmm. business, needing those large warehouses in Canada, in rural areas of Canada just makes sense, I guess. And that's exactly it. I saw a massive Amazon warehouse on Steels, like Steels yep, East. Yep. And it, that that is it. People are chewing a lot of shopping on Amazon. Now, that being said, I wish people would shop local <sighs> instead of shopping yeah. online on Amazon. So that's a whole other issue. Um, but yeah, that, that's what's happening. People are shopping on Amazon. And so Amazon is buying these massive warehouses in order to keep up with the demand. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. These numbers don't show what's happening on the smaller front, right? Like we are here, we are seeing also, as you alluded to, malls and uh, retail spaces. But when it comes to the mom and pop shops, they're not doing as well. Exactly. And so, you know, people need to <clears throat> rethink their need to shop at Amazon. Does Jeff Bezos really need your money? <laughs> or does that local retailer really need your money? So yeah, I think people also need to get their priorities straight. People are so focused on getting it cheap, 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 that they forget when they do that, you know, their local store is losing business and can close down. And you know, that's what's going to affect your neighborhood more. All of the stores in your neighborhood hollowing out because they don't have any business because you shop online. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I have tons of <laughs> Amazon boxes in my house. Uh, so I'll take ownership of that. Um, okay. Uh, you know, let's take a break before we get into this next story, um, because I want to talk about Vancouver and their plans to kind of help with the permitting process for housing. I think they might be onto something that Toronto can follow suit with. All right. We're going to take a quick break and return with Devel Morrison. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto. We're back with Devel Morrison, uh, broker with Bosley Real Estate. Uh, this other story caught our attention as well this week, Devel. Vancouver is planning to make obtaining a permit uh, for housing a lot easier by the summer. The city of Vancouver is launching uh, the Project Requirements Exploration Tool, which will inform you of details if you're applying for a permit, such as future costs, project timelines, and feasibility. They also have a second tool called Incompli, which will check uh, your designs and drawings for any project uh, and make sure that's following the regulations. I think this could really help the backlog here in the city of Toronto as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. I think that at this, at this point, anytime you can use technology to speed things up, I think that's a great idea. I mean, obviously, you will still need to have some staff to work on more complicated projects, and that's fair. But I think if this can get rid of sort of the backlog on standard projects and get people building faster, why not? 
Yeah, uh, there are some critics that feel like it will still end up on a human's desk. But I think you're right. I think if it can speed up some of the process, because that's what we always hear in this in the city is that it's the the permits. Even if you're just doing a little thing like getting your basement renovated, the exactly. amount of time that that takes and uh, if technology can help with that, I just see it as a win win for everybody. Absolutely, for sure. I mean, I gather there might be some people who are sort of afraid of their jobs, but I think that we have so many projects there that I think that there's still room for both. Yeah. And why not speed things up? It just makes sense. Absolutely. Okay. We talk a lot about Toronto uh, housing, uh, community housing here on this segment. Here's another story that, again, just scratching my head. So a new report by um, the Ombudsman uh, said that Toronto Community Housing Corporation is sharing incorrect and misleading information about its human rights complaints process. He alleges that TCHC staff referred tenants to an office that had not been operational for years and had outdated policies and procedures. And this investigation happened after a tenant complained uh, that TCHC wasn't supporting tenants' uh, needs for medical accommodations and also ignoring complaints from uh, someone who lived beside someone who was regularly yelling ethnic slurs at them through the walls. I mean... TCHC, I think, needs a, a real overhaul. I mean, yep. I used to I used to live in Toronto housing. I grew up in Toronto housing. Um, it does not have a great reputation, and this is not helping the residents or their reputation at all. Absolutely, and I mean, we've talked about that many times. Yeah. That TCHC is a mess, and if you had a private landlord who was behaving the way that TCHC is you wouldn't have it. Like you would be so upset. So why does the Toronto have a housing corporation that behaves this way? It's terrible. It's it's criminal. I mean, they should be the example for how to treat tenants and they're not. Now you've got private landlords who are showcasing a better example of how to treat tenants and tenant complaints, right? So it's not shocking. It's sad, but yeah, the TCHC absolutely does need an overhaul. I don't even know what they're doing there. And then, you know, we can go on and on about the conditions that some of the tenants actually have to live in because they don't upkeep their buildings. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the TCHC, I do want to say, has accepted the findings of the investigation and they do want to fix the problem. Uh, On top of that, at the same time this week, it was announced that the head of TCHC is leaving his role and will be one of two new incoming deputy city managers of the city. Specifically, his role is to work on development and growth in the city, uh, speed up housing projects uh, through new division aimed at streamlining approvals and combating existing silos in the process. I will say that uh, his appointment went through. The only person, the only counselor that opposed this appointment was Josh Matlow. Uh, I just think like the writing is on the wall. We just, I mean, yeah. if the Oppensman is saying that there is a problem here with this organization, why would the CEO then be given this role? Yeah, totally. It doesn't make any sense. Right? And, and I think that maybe they need to have people who actually have some real estate experience in these roles. If you're going to have people handle housing, maybe you should have people who actually have had some kind of real estate experience, whether it, de- whether it be development or planning or something. 
um, in these rules, whether it's the TCHC or the city manager role. I mean, I did see that that person had his previous role, I believe was he was the chief administrative officer of New Market. Yes. So that's a, a generalist position and perhaps he was good in a generalist position. But I think that when you're talking about something about housing, you actually need someone with expertise in housing. I just also think as a leader of an organization that has some fundamental problems, like, you know, TCHC housing does not have a very good reputation. And again, this goes mm -hmm. back many years. It's just it's not to be blamed on this, you know, current CEO who has left, right? There are a lot of uh, systemic issues that need to be resolved in that organization. But I just think, wouldn't you want somebody who has this track record, maybe he has a track record beyond TCHC, but if you're leaving with an investigation that's saying that people's human rights have not been protected, that seems pretty mm -hmm. significant for me. That doesn't look like you deserve a promotion. That's just my opinion. <laughs> but it's all politics, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if you've, worked, if you've worked in the corporate world, you see how sometimes people who actually aren't that good, because they manage up better than they manage yeah. below them, yeah. They keep getting promoted and everybody below them is shaking their heads going, why is this guy getting the job? Yeah. And it's just because he does a better job of politicking and managing up. So he gets that promotion or that job that he wants when everybody else around him goes, "What? what is this? Who knows? Who knows? Okay, I want to get some of your thoughts on the Paul Bernardo story. I did talk about it off the top of the show, and I, we got a text message uh, from someone who said, I don't think Bernardo should see the light of day for the rest of his miserable life. Mendocino has made other big mistakes and should resign, but he won't. Again, the question is, should Marco Mendocino, uh, the public safety minister, resign over the fact that his office was made aware of this transfer back in March uh, it has, they have said that he was not made aware until the end of May, as well as Trudeau's office was made aware. Trudeau was not made, specifically made aware until the end of May as well. Uh, do you think Marco Mendocino should resign, Deville? No, I don't. You know, yeah. why didn't he know? I don't know. Yeah. You know, why did his staff tell him? Why didn't Trudeau, why did Trudeau know before him? But yeah. you know, people talk a lot about hating cancel culture. You know, and hating the idea that if somebody does a misstep, they get canceled. Mm -hmm. And that's what people are trying to do to Marco Mendocino. There's been one mistake and now they want him canceled. And so I kind of think to myself, who's going to want to run for politics mm -hmm. if we treat people this way? And so that's kind of my take on it in terms of, you know, him, him resigning. You know, last week, David Johnston resigned. When I think a few years ago when Bill Morneau resigned, you know, the one flaw, I guess, that we that I see with all of these people resigning is it, it's all around Trudeau. Mm -hmm. So it's a mistake that Trudeau has made that somebody else gets to take the fall for. Yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about Trump being sort of like Teflon Don and nothing sticks to him. But, you know, in Trudeau's case, it's always like just in time for just another scandal. You know, and I just kind of wonder, is this talk about Marco Mendocino actually taking us away from the real issue, which is why the heck would we ever consider putting Bernardo in a medium security prison? I think that we need to get away from Marco and go back to the original subject matter, because that's what's important. Yeah, I I agree with you. I said a bit of that at the beginning of the show that I think. 
um, somebody does need to lose their job on that team because they should have known, hey, this is a big enough file that I need to let my boss know. And yeah. my concern would be if another big file like this comes across their desk, they're going to be like, what should I let him know? Should I? No, this is bi- like this is Paul Bernardo. I mean, this is one of the biggest cases Canada has ever seen. And uh, and he should have known from the get go because of the media fallout, because of just the repercussions of this. Should he be a medium security? Should he not? That should be a conversation again. Um, uh, right now, there is a, a tribunal of about three three uh, judges who are looking at this and reviewing the move. So I, I agree with you. I don't think he should lose his job. I mean, there has been a lot of mess around Marco Mendocino over the years, um, but I don't think this is the reason why he should resign. But I do think somebody should lose their job, and the lesson should be learned in how to handle really significant files like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, I can't even believe it's even a conversation about moving Bernardo to medium security. I'm like, why are we even talking about this? Leave him where he is in maximum security. Yeah, that's a whole other, you know, I'm really struggling with that. And, you know, again, we don't know if Paul Bernardo, yeah, we just don't know where he's at. And I, I wish if we knew that he was remorseful for what he did and just to understand why they feel like he should be moving to medium security. You know, some some critics have said that, you know, the the prison system is made that if you are leaving somebody in maximum security, that is beyond what the job of the prison system should be. There should be rehabilitation. And so the sense of he'll never go to minimum security, but the sense that hopefully there's rehabilitation and he would move to medium security. That is the 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 process of. Uh, our prison system. I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. I'm really struggling with, again, just the heinous acts and what he and Carla Homoka, let's not forget Carla, exactly. have done. I'm really struggling <laughs> yeah. with that, Devel, and what the what the prison system is supposed to do for really for people who have done really bad things in our country. And, and for me, I think that's why I think that Bernardo just needs to stay in maximum security. Like, I don't care how nice he's being in prison and how people want to reward him for good behavior. I'm like, I'm literally not interested. Yeah. You know, I feel that the crimes that he committed are so heinous. Just leave him maximum security and focus your energy on the other prisoners. It's such a polarizing topic right now. All right. I have a minute left, but just want to hear some of your thoughts about the mayoral debate this past week. Did you watch it? What did you think? I did watch it. I feel really sad for our city because I feel like I, I don't want Olivia Chow to win. I'm just going to say it. She she won't come out and say how much property taxes are going to be increased. And what people don't understand about property taxes is they get charged across the board for residences and commercial businesses. And what people don't understand is that in commercial leases, property taxes are paid by the tenant. So that that means retailers and small businesses won't survive and could close because they can't afford that property tax increase. And so that's my issue when some of these candidates are talking about spiking up property taxes. It's not just about, oh, it's just that wealthy homeowner who's going to pay. That's what people think. But it's that local small business that you really like shopping in that's going to pay. And that's not okay with me. Well, Olivia Chow is going to join us after the news, and uh, we're hoping that she can kind of clarify that because I think there's been a lot of talk about that around Olivia, but I'd love to give her the opportunity to really uh, clear the air on the issue of property taxes. Will she be hiking them? What that will look like? Because I I agree. Some people are concerned about that. So we'll give her a chance to answer that question as well. Thanks so much, Yvelle.
Pin her down to a number, Maggie. Pin her down to a number. <laughs> Have a great Saturday, Devel. That was Devel Morrison, broker with Bossley Real Estate Limited and regular contributor here on Toronto this weekend.